Uh, good morning. Uh, in case you don't know, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and I am excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, what a start to our year, right? Um, so I, I was talking to Tracy this week, and you know I preach here about once a month, sometimes less. And I was thinking back to the past like 10, 11 months, I remember I preached right after we got locked down with COVID. I preached right after the election, you know, simple election, no big deals, no frills or anything, no confusion at all. And then I'm preaching today. And I preach once a month. So like this has been a crazy year where every week there is something that feels uh, life-changing, kind of foundation rocking in a sense. And I think uh, this week is one of those weeks, but, but here is the good news is that we serve a never changing, always present, always loving, sovereign, holy God. And so that's why we sing and we cry songs like you were good, you were good. But it's also why things and, and scenes like this week just, uh, hurt, they're damaging, uh, they're confusing, all these kinds of things. And to be real honest with you guys this morning, where I was really hurt from this week was just that I feel like the world is getting a bad picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Where I, it breaks my heart that many people that don't know God in our world, they see this week, they saw people holding Christian flags, people holding Confederate flags, holding American flags, rioting, committing crimes, and that is their picture of the church. And, and no matter where you fall on a political spectrum, we all can agree that is not the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is something much different. So I want to start our, our time in this sermon today with Matthew 5. You go there in your Bibles to Matthew 5. And if you've been in church at all, this is Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' manifesto, his vision for what his church, his people can and should look like. And I pray that his words today truly capture us and inspire us and challenge us. Matthew 5 verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are, hear this, the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Church, hear this this morning. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Here's the tension for us as we read this. As I read this, and I'm assuming as you read this and we hear this. We don't naturally live these things out, do we? I am not naturally a peacemaker. I am not naturally okay with somebody persecuting me. And he goes on in this sermon and he preaches about loving your enemies. I don't naturally do those things. Oswald Chambers says this, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. I read this this week over and over, and I, I keep coming back to this thought. This isn't easy, is it? Listen, I have all kinds of thoughts on people, on how you should act, how politics should be, how the world should. I have all kinds of thoughts, and my thoughts are correct. My thoughts are right. I know this. Everyone else is wrong. This is hard for me to live out. But me and you as professed followers of Jesus, hear this, we're called to be light in the midst of darkness. And we can never be light if we're using the means of darkness to try to be light. We have to be light. We, as Jesus' people, we walk in the ways of Jesus. But quite frankly, I naturally do not want to do this. I want to crush my enemies, correct? I want to win. That is how I am disposed, predisposed naturally. But Jesus keeps going in Matthew 11. We probably heard this before too if you've been in church. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That is us, correct? Jesus, we're here. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What? An easy yoke? You just said love my enemies. You said bless those who persecute you. You called me to be meek and a peacemaker, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those are not easy things. Watching Netflix is easy. Getting mad at my enemies is easy, correct? But here's the truth that lies in the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Here's what I mean. It's adopting his overall lifestyle. See, Jesus was an actual person with an actual body who did actual people-like things. 
and he told his original followers to come and follow me. And, and the history of the church is this history of really follow me as they followed Jesus. And we are called to do the same thing, to follow Jesus and his overall lifestyles. It's the words which we all agree with. We hear the words, so we should do the words, but it's also the ways. Let me keep going. Following in his steps cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. So there's this great picture when he's on the cross, right? It's so moving where he says, he's being murdered for their sins and for our sins. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We hear that and we are so inspired until my kid wants a snack in the morning. At that moment, I have no more grace for my child, correct? Because we don't, we want to just live like Jesus when it's like on the spot. We must live as Christ lived as he did in all his life. Here's the secret that is to learn from Christ how to live our total lives, how to invest all our time and our energies of mind and body as he did. We must learn how to follow his preparations. We must practice like he practiced. We must use his disciplines for his life and God's rule that enabled him to receive his father's constant and effective support. We have to learn to discover how to enter his disciplines from where we live today and how to extend and amplify them to suit our neediness. See, so just invited people to fall into the sort of life from which behavior such as loving one's enemies seems like the only sensible and happy way to live. That we are so enmeshed with Jesus and his ways that living the ways of the world is less appealing. That it's less joyful to hate our enemies and it's more joyful. It's more, here's the key, it's more natural to live as Jesus lived. For a person living that kind of life, for living a Jesus-styled life, the hard thing to do is to hate the enemy or to curse the cursor. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes to the point where it's hard not to respond as he would. This week's a good example where people committed crimes based on the inputs they're taking in. Hear this, your inputs always lead to outputs. What you're putting in, what you're practicing, what you're functionally walking in day in, day out will come out. And if you're filling your mind with whatever it is, if it's stuff that leads to violence, you're gonna, it's gonna be violence. Listen, if it's the, the just apathetic nature of binge watching, you're going to live an apathetic life because inputs determine your outputs. We see this supposed as like a follower of Jesus named Stephen. It's in Acts 7. If you've heard his story, um, he was this man of God who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, was preaching the gospel after Jesus was ascended to heaven and he got murdered for his faith. He got stoned for his faith. Listen to his response. In Acts 7, verse 59, it says, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, 
he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This echoes and models the way Jesus was on the cross, doesn't it? And it was this, I want you to really understand this. This is a real person who lived his life in such a way, who modeled the way of his Savior, that when the time came, when real persecution came to him, real physical and verbal anger came to him, what came out? He wasn't trying to say these things. They naturally came out of him. It's because he prepared and lived his life in a different way. And here, here's what I want us to hear. This is my prayer this morning. Church, this kind of life, the life of Jesus, the life of his follower, Stephen, is there for us today. For when persecution comes, because persecution is coming, church. It's, it's coming. But when it comes, how are we going to respond? What is inside of us that will naturally flow out? You see this in Paul too, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is thrown in jail numerous times. And there's just one great story of him being in jail and just singing songs to God. When I'm in traffic, I'm not singing songs to God. There is this, this just, but for what you see in Paul and Stephen and, and Jesus is this is all just an overflow. Do you feel like sometimes we're just trying and trying and trying and it almost feels hollow and fake, Right? What God has promised us, not that it wouldn't be a fight or a battle or that you wouldn't fail, but there should be this natural overflow that comes out from his people. So here's a question. How can ordinary people like you and me, how can we follow and become like Jesus? How can we be like Jesus always? Not just on Sundays, right? Where we put on the nice clothes. Uh, my shirt is tucked in this morning. Thank you very much. We're, or we're around others who kind of cheer us on and sustain us. Those kind of moments of spiritual high. How can we be like him and not pose or be a constant and grinding effort, but with the ease and power that he had? Flowing from the inner depths of his soul. Acting with quiet force from the innermost mind and the soul of Christ. There's no question we're called to this. We're called to this. We're saved for this. This is your vocation. As you have been brought from the darkness to the light, this is your primary vocation to be the light of the world, to be the representative of Jesus to this world. But how? This is our big idea for the day. This is how. We practice what Jesus practiced so we can live as Jesus lived. We practice what Jesus practiced so we can live as Jesus lived. This is how Paul explains to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says here, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Here's the key. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. 
as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Train yourself for godliness. Paul used this metaphor throughout his letters. Discipline your body like you're running a race. Train yourself. All these kind of metaphors beat your body into submission for the purpose of godliness. We have to practice to live as Jesus lived. I'll never forget, um, I was a sixth grader, and um, it's a long time ago, and uh, I made the eighth grade basketball team. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And we had a coach, Mrs. Brown, and she was a great coach. And one, and I loved Cokes back then, and I'm, I'm honest, I love Cokes today. I do. I love Cokes. But one of her rules for playing on her team was you could not drink Cokes during the season. I was like, well, my goodness. But, I was, but, but there was this idea of the prize, right? There, there was the prize of, of being on this team and, and playing with these guys and, and getting better and better. So I disciplined my body to not have Cokes for like three and a half months. And, and I know that seems silly, but there is this thing that if we understand the prize, if we understand the prize, there's this great book by Donald Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines, and he says this phrase, Discipline without direction is drudgery. If we don't remember why we're training ourselves, why we're practicing our lives the way Jesus practiced his life for the purpose of godliness and ourselves and others, if we forget that prize, it's always going to be drudgery. But hear this, you're practicing for this reason right here. You were saved for this. Listen, in our context, we're used to this idea of we believe, we intellectually agree with the doctrines of God. That, that, that's yes, we believe this, but we don't have to functionally change the way that we live. But if we understand that we are actually saved to walk in this newness of life, this new way of life, so that when the stuff comes, like when the phone call comes, when persecution comes, when the bad day comes, don't you want the fruit that comes out that's the fruit of God? Isn't the fruit of your life not walking in the ways of God, just rotten fruit? Like I, I know for me, as I, as I reflect on this and as I, as just, there's just deep conviction of just the lack of me actually practicing these things and the fruit that comes out from that, it's really heavy and exhausting. But it's also, it's, it's for your kids. It's for your neighbor, your coworker. It's for your network of people that as you train in godliness, as you train the ways of Jesus, they will see and experience a picture of God. And this is where we've been misled as a people. See, Paul says this phrase right here, that our citizenship is in heaven. That we have a new home now, right? We have this new home. But, but here is the problem is we agree with those things. We don't live as if those, if those are true. Does that make sense? Jesus says you have to lose your life to find true life. He says, take up your cross 
and then follow me. We hear those things. We agree with those things. I'm not sure if we actually functionally believe those things. Because if we believe those things, the way we live our lives, they should look different. So how do we kind of walk in this? And Here's the phrase I want to put in front of you. It's spiritual practices. That if we're going to live as Jesus lived, we must practice what Jesus practiced. We have to learn to walk in these spiritual practices. This is, this is practice of devotion and experiential Christianity. This experiencing Christ, not just knowing about him. We use this passage in John 15 all the time. It says we must abide in Christ in order to bear fruit. And here's the challenge for us as pastors and for us as Christians is we have to learn how to abide. And, and I think we've reduced abiding to simply reading the Bible and praying. That is definitely a part of it, but I believe there is much deeper waters for us to experience as Christians. It's practice of devotion and experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. See, these practices, they're biblical. We see them throughout God's word. They're historical in the church, but also they're effective. We see this in our lives just in the day. And when we actually practice these things, we do bear fruit because the practices of God, they bring power. They bring power over us as we walk in God's word, as we walk through fast, as we walk in solitude, as we walk in confession, we, have, we walk in functional power over sin. It brings peace, the peace of God that only comes from knowing God. Like you have been saved, you've been set free, but you're also called to so much more, to deeper abiding in Christ that, it, that lets us experience peace in ways that we cannot imagine. It provides protection. We learn as we walk in these practices, we learn that we are in a battle and we learn how to functionally protect ourselves from the schemes of the enemy. And, and finally, as we walk in these rhythms, in these practices, it produces fruit in our life. That one day when we are going to be with Jesus, we can look back and we can see the purpose and the effect of our lives which is the fruit of the gospel in other people. So, you, so what do these practices actually look like? So if, if we're to move forward, if we're to try to walk in these, what does this actually functionally look like? And, I, and, I, and I, we're kind of talking about this based around kind of four things. The, the great commandment, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How do you practice a life that cultivates those loves? And so I, I have 12 practices I want to put in front of us. And now hear this right now. We do not have time today to teach on all 12 of these things. But, but here's our hope going forward is that we're going to start to put resources in your hands to help us, the church, walk in these things. So what are practices of the heart? Like, how do we cultivate our affections for the things of God? The first, and, and if you think about the life of Jesus, it's very practical, is prayer. 
Jesus modeled this for us over and over and over again. A life of prayer, of crying out and talking to God. That as we talk to God, he grows our affections. We literally grow in relationship to him. We cultivate our heart towards him. And these are practices we must actually functionally do in our lives. Second is worship. I don't know if you experienced this a few minutes ago when we're singing together. Your heart is lifted, isn't it? Your heart is brought to a greater reality. That there is this majestic God who also loves you. And as we sing these songs together in worship, our hearts are lifted. Our hearts are renewed. Our hearts are changed. This must be a constant practice for the people of God. Jesus practiced himself. Over and over, he was faithful to the Sabbath to go and to worship his Father. Third practice to cultivate our heart is fellowship. It's doing life with other believers. There is something, I'll give you an example. This morning, uh, real spiritual heaviness getting out of bed this morning. It's just really hard. And then I come and I see you guys. So pretty. All you guys are. And and there is this just there's just this supernatural thing about being around the body of Christ, isn't there? But there's also supernatural opposition to that, isn't there? Every morning at nine o'clock on a Sunday, right? Man, you're tired. Or if they only knew what you did this week. You don't deserve to be around those people. Oh, just, just don't watch football. That's much better. Or on a Wednesday night, you're going to meet with your guys for your group. You're going to be encouraged. It's the last thing that you want to do because there's real spiritual opposition to spiritual fellowship. And in church, we cannot practice in the ways of Jesus unless we fellowship with other believers. That's celebration, isn't it? It's such a joy. It was just to, to be at each other's birthday parties for the big holidays. I know many of you in this room spent Christmas together celebrating the birth of Jesus. This has to be normal for us to live as Jesus lived. Jesus lived with his followers for three years. He modeled fellowship for us. The dinner table was the centerpiece of his ministry as he fellowshiped with believers and with sinners. As we practice these things, we cultivate a heart for God. But there's also the soul, the center of our being. And we must learn the practices of cultivating our soul. And I think these are probably most foreign to us. And there's this first practice of solitude. And and I will tell you, Jesus probably modeled this practice more than any other. Over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus was getting away by himself to be just with him and God. It's this intentional time to be alone with just you and just God. To remind you, to remind your own heart, your own soul, that at the end of the day, the most real thing in the world is you and God. And as you begin to walk in this, there's this real power that we learn that we need nothing except for God. And I will tell you, in a world as loud as this world is right now, 
we must cultivate this practice right here. That we must be a people of solitude. And if we're all honest, and I'll be honest, I do not know how to practice solitude well. But I want to ask you to commit with me that we're going to start to take steps in this and learn to walk in solitude. Second soul practice is confession. It's confession. There is something about confessing your sins to other believers that just, it, A, it frees your soul from the bondage of sin, but also it frees your soul to love others in ways you can't imagine. I was talking to a friend this week. And he just asked this question. He's like, is our church really a safe place to share the innermost struggles? Is it really a safe place for men to come and say, I looked at porn this week? Is it a safe place for, for people to come, for women to come and say, I just, I am tired of this. I am tired of my kids. Is it a safe place for us to really be honest about our sins? Because church, if we're not practicing confession, and did not Jesus invite confession all the time in his ministry by asking questions, by just pushing and prodding, inviting confession, not to condemn, but he knows when we, when we bring light to the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. But many of us, we're practicing secrecy, aren't we? We're practicing hiding and our souls are withering away. The Jesus people, we must learn this practice of confession. That the greatest way you battle sin is to confess your sin. And it stops having hold on us as a people. And hear this today, church. I want you to hear this. I beg you hear this. My hope, my prayer is that this is a church where confession flows freely. Many times I meet with people and they're caught in their sin. It's months and years of hiding. And it's so hard and it's devastating. But I do this weird thing. I'm almost giddy. And here's why. Because once the junk is out there, we can start to actually heal and move forward and battle sin. But friends, if our sin stays hidden, if we don't practice this, we're never going to see power over our sin. And here's the truth. Every single man, woman, child, teenager in this room is a broken, messed up sinner. If we knew the totality of all of our sins, we'd all go running. But here's the good news. We have the cross of Jesus Christ, correct? So we should be a people who freely confess sins. We don't gather to just talk about football. We gather to do the real work, the real practice of confession. Sorry, I was excited about that one. Um, third soul practice, Sabbath, where we just cease activity for the purpose of fellowship with God and others. I do not Sabbath well. I'm extremes. I'll be honest, I'm extremes. I go from wanting to work, work, work to like totally veg out way down here. And there's no middle ground for me at all. And so we have to learn how to Sabbath well, how to cease activity well, because we tend to stop working and go right to indulging our flesh, don't we? Or is it just me? Okay, all right, well, that's fine. I mean, I'm confessing. I'm on, I mean, I'm modeling this for y'all. But we have to learn how to cease activity, but then also like make that God-centered and people-centered, Right? And not just withdrawn to things of the world. It's not wrong to watch Netflix. 
it's not wrong to watch the Cowboys lose. Those are all good and right things. But we have to learn to do greater things whenever we Sabbath. We're only halfway there. Let's keep going. Um, that's our heart practices. That's our soul practices. But what are the practices of the mind, of us renewing our mind to the things of God? The first is study, that we must study the Bible. Hear this. We must read the Bible slowly. We must read the Bible slowly. We must read the Bible unhurried. We must study God's word deeply. We must know God's word. Some of us know pop culture stuff and sports stuff or politics stuff way more than we should. And we don't know our Bibles. And you might say, well, I don't know how to study the Bible. Well, learn. Call I am learning right now today how to study the Bible better. We will never stop growing in this process. But we must study the Bible. Second practice, we must meditate on the Bible. So we must read slowly, and then we must just let it sit. It's just got to sit on our minds and let it sit there and renew our minds and renew our hearts with the reality of the world. And here's why. Many of us are meditating on worries, aren't we? We read the news, and that is what we meditate on all day long. And we wonder why we live in anxiety. We must learn to meditate on the reality of the universe, which is God and his word and his ways. And finally, as we renew our mind, we must memorize. Memorize and hide God's word in our heart and our mind. Somebody shared this, this great video, I think it was actually Sam a few weeks ago, about uh, the church in China and how this pastor was meeting with them and he was preaching and he realized they were all like putting their Bibles down while he preached and he was kind of offended. And he talked to them like, oh no, we, we knew that whole chapter, we knew that whole book of the, we know the, that whole book of the Bible. Because they said many times we don't have a Bible in our hands, so we have to memorize God's word this great convicting thing about just the access we have to God's word. Folks, we should be memorizing God's word. That practice should be normal for the people of Jesus. And I am saying all this as the chief of sinners here, correct? But I believe we can strive together to walk in these. We're going to see real fruit. Let me keep going. So we have heart, we have soul, we have the mind, and finally we have strength how we actually begin to do some of these things. If the mind and studying and memorizing and meditating, they're really about hearing from God through his word, this is about obeying God. The first practice, evangelism, which I wish I had a better word for it because I feel like that word has lost some meaning. But, but here's what it really means. It means speaking and declaring the reality of God's kingdom in your life and in the world to yourself and to others. We must cultivate a practice of preaching the gospel to ourselves and to others. It should be so normal for us to just be talking about the gospel over and over and over again. Jesus always came back to his kingdom. His words, his message always came back to his kingdom. Others need that. Your own heart and mind and soul need that as well. To recalibrate your life under what's functionally true, the good news of God's kingdom. We must practice this in our life and the life of others. Second, we must practice fasting. In our culture, 
We consume, we consume, we consume. We have nothing that we need, correct? We must learn this practice. And Jesus practiced himself. That's how he started his ministry, correct? Solitude and fasting. We must purge ourselves from the things of this world. We must let those things go. And I will tell you, it means almost always with food. That's how Jesus did this. He fasted from food. We must learn this, this practice of fasting from food and things that consume us. And last practice here, as we kind of work this out in strength and with our hands, is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Jesus modeled sacrifice. This means sacrificing your time, which is I am giving myself over to these people. This is sacrificing your money, this saying, here's what it's saying really. This money is not mine. This money is God's and I am giving it towards his purposes. And this is your talents. What is our primary vocation? Our primary vocation is to be light in the midst of darkness. This means there should be things in your schedule, vacations you don't take, things your kids don't do because you're sacrificing for the purpose of others. There should be things that we don't buy, cars we don't have, houses we don't have because we're sacrificing for the sake of God's gospel and others and for our own souls. And lastly, our talents, what God has gifted you to do, we should say, God, this is for your purposes. We should walk in sacrifice. So uh, I'll invite the band up um, right now. Listen, this is a lot. If you're like me, I'm writing these this week. I'm like, no, I don't want to write that. No, I don't want to write that either. There is this real sense of hesitation to speak these things out. But here's what I, I can't get away from is this is how God's word has modeled and instructed his people to live. And if you're like me, you're saying, I cannot do this. First, I, I encourage you to breathe for a moment. Confess your sins. Confess your struggles. In a sense, confess your way of life. And then I want to invite you to take, take two steps with me this week. Just two steps. And, and the first is this right here. Commit to the slow. Commit to the slow. These are the practices we're going to be cultivating the rest of our lives. And these practices should be and will be a work in progress. Progress. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell says this phrase, that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at something. I have spent 20 minutes in solitude my entire life. And so th there is work for me to do. There is work for us to do. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly, correct? The best things in my life are the hard things that I've done. I always tell my kids, hard things can be good things. This is how we functionally lose our life by giving our life away to the ways of Jesus so that we can live like he lived. And last thing, commit to people. Every single person in this room is going to flesh this out differently. Like you're going to have a way you do this, you're going to have a way you do this, you're going to have a way you do this. This only is fleshed out in the context of relationship. 
and that someone may be one step ahead of you helping walk with you to your next spiritual step. This is only possible in the context of someone discipling you, of someone encouraging you, someone holding you accountable, that we as people, we need those things. And this is why we as a church, we have uh, these things called discipleship groups. They are there to encourage and hold us accountable to live out the practices of Jesus. And so here's my, my two challenges. Is take a step into one of these today. You got a card on your thing. You can come talk to me afterwards. Our desire is to connect you with somebody to help you walk in these practices for all of us to grow in this step, in this process. And so let us know on your card or come find me of how we can do that. If you want to take that step, we are here. Second thing, we're going to start trying to actually train our church in this. So Luke started today in our equipping class preaching on Sabbath. Over the next two to three months in our class, we're going to teach on these practices. And so I would encourage you to come Come, our, come to our class. And listen, if you're in another class, if you're serving somewhere or you can't make it, we're going to video these things. We're going to try to get those in your hands any way possible. But, but commit to the slow process of adapting this in your life. And then commit to people to hold you accountable and encourage you to do this. But most of all, hear this. You have been saved from the penalty of sin adopted into the family of God and the practices of the family, right? These are the things that our family does. They are not things that we're trying to earn. These aren't means for you to earn God's favor. Your favor is found through Jesus, know that. But we're not opposed to working out our salvation either. We're not earning, but folks, hear this. We should be working. We should be working to become more like Christ. Because here's the truth. What other hope do we have? These lesser hopes, they're not cutting it, are they? The bitterness of sin, of apathy, aren't we tired of it? Friends, I need you to hold me accountable to this, to encourage me in this. And I want to hold you accountable and encourage you in this. So I just want to encourage you. I'm not going to, I might beg, I don't know. But I want to implore you to not let today go by without committing to the slow and committing to people. So let us know how we can walk with you through that. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for letting me see that that my sin is bitter. And that there is a different way. And Lord, we're asking that you will encourage us, empower us to to take a step into the ways of you. That we will put off the things of this world, the silly things of this world, and we'll begin to walk in the truth of your ways. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Lord, bless these people make clear our next spiritual step. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.